Today, our study of the Ten Commandments, we are to the Sixth Commandment. If you were here last week and you heard Frank's sermon on the Sabbath and the Fourth Commandment, you think either we can't count or we took one out or something, but if you remember back to Father's Day, we did the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. So we're back on track. We're going to finish these by the end of the uh, summer. So you should have a sermon outline in your bulletin. If you don't, there should be some still out in the hallway. Homicides, mass shootings in America, particularly concerning in big cities like we hear about Chicago, Los Angeles, other places. Uh, it's really put a spotlight on violence in this country. But did you know that the U.S. is not even in the top 100 uh, countries when it comes to murder rates? Uh, The U.S. has between four and five murders every year per 100,000 residents, uh, which puts us squarely right in the middle. 218 countries, we are number 107th according to the U.N. Office on Drugs and Crime. Now, NASA, or the Bahamas, where uh, our team just got back from, they rank 10th. I mentioned that after they get back, not before they go. Um, but they, they get about 30 murders per 100,000 people. And if you think about the fact that the, all of the Bahamas population is about the size of Loudoun County, they get 100 murders, over 100 murders every year. Can you imagine If that happened in Loudoun County, we would not feel as safe. Now, we do know that tourists, and we think missionaries are included in that, are a lot safer because if word gets out that the Bahamas is not a safe tourist destination, then then most of their uh, commerce dries up. Their biggest industry is tourism. So we do feel safe when we go down there. And the Bahamas rate is really half that of the top three most murder-prone countries in the world, Venezuela, El Salvador, and Honduras. And Honduras is in the lead by a large margin. They say up to 84 murders per 100,000 residents. Those are statistics. And to paraphrase Joseph Stalin, one death is a tragedy, but a million deaths is a statistic. The abstract idea that Hundreds of thousands of murders happen around the world can make us sad and and obviously wary of where we travel, but it's not till it happens closer to us that we are truly shocked and jarred. And in fact, I think our nation, our people, we become quite desensitized by the thousands of fictional murders that we see on screens. I mean, think about how many uh, TV shows, movies you have seen, a death portrayed. Sometimes the question is asked, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? And that's sometimes hard to tell, particularly you think about, think back to the Columbine High School shooting Back in 1999, those are old enough that remember that. That was pretty shocking. It's become less shocking now that we've had numerous murders like that. But 
at the time, that was a huge deal. I remember I was in youth ministry and, and it really rocked things. And there was a lot of uh, talk then about the fact that the two killers, the high school students who just went into their high school and shot their fellow students, had, were very influenced by violent video games to then want to act out the fantasy. Um, and in kind of a sick twist on that, several years later, someone made a video game called Super Columbine Massacre RPG that lets you play the characters of Eric and Dylan and go through the halls of the high school and decide who to shoot. Uh, its creator has defended it by saying that the game dares us into a realm of gray morality with nuanced perspectives of suffering, vengeance, horror, reflection. At the end of the day, the understanding of the Columbine school shooting is deepened and redefined. That is the real object of the game. Well, pardon me if I don't run out and buy the game, download it, or let my kids uh, play it. But it's true that we have to be realistic about how broken our world is and what drives someone to end another's life. But more importantly, what a biblical view of fallen man and violence and killing looks like and how God feels about all of this. So let's read our scripture passage today. Exodus 20, 13 I don't want to show off too much, but I went ahead and memorized it. I know that's not everyone's gift. Don't be discouraged if you can't do this. You shall not murder. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and conform our lives to what we have understood. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. Well, let's get some foundation under our feet before we dive into what this text means. The foundation I want to build is the great reminder that the scriptures teach us that human life is sacred and is holy. First, because every life is a gift from God. And second, equally important, because humans are made in the image of God. Acts 17, 24 through 25, all of the scriptures I'm going to read are going to be in your outline there. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So all people, male and female, every person of every race is made in the image of God. The worst, most sinful, selfish, violent person 
was created in the image of God. A disabled person with no arms, no legs, maybe no ability to reason or speak, created in the image of God. Now, that is not to say that we are equal to God. We are not God's ourselves. No, but we are his unique creation bestowed with dignity. Here, Psalm 8, 4 and 5. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And because human life is holy and precious, there are consequences to those who do not honor that. That's Genesis 9, 6. God tells us that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God gives life to human beings, and only he has the right to decide to take it away. So let's look at this short verse, this sixth commandment, and see what murder does and does not mean. The Old Testament Hebrew has many different words for killing. Uh, There's, I think, eight. There's one for war. There's one for killing an animal, one for sacrifice. There's a bunch. The word used here is ratzach. Can't write it out. I mean, I can spell it for you, but it's uh, ratzach. is always used for the unlawful killing of humans, never for animals, okay? So I love baby seals as much as the next guy. I mean, I, I'm trying to get to where I love my cats. They hate when I mention that, but anyways. But we're not going to talk about animals this morning. You, you, you probably point to some things, um, in the scriptures, but you can't defend their lives using this commandment. Murder is ending a human life at all stages of life. The most obvious, plain understanding is when someone assaults and kills someone else, either out of anger or because there's some kind of financial reward or some way that this person will benefit from someone else's life being taken. At its very core, Murder is extreme selfishness. My needs, my desires, my wants, whatever I want is more valuable than your life. My ESV Bible has a footnote, maybe yours says too, that says the Hebrew word for murder also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. Uh, The punishments were less Uh, but it falls under that definition. We need to understand and care about human life. As the old phrase says, from womb to tomb. And so I have to remind us that abortion is murder. We all know it's a baby. We've made sort of this understanding that It's sort of up to whether the mother wants it or not. If she does, then it's a baby. If she doesn't, it's a fetus. And we've made these arguments about choice. But from the moment of conception, a woman is carrying a human life. And to take that is to violate the sixth commandment. 
I'm not trying to be political. I'm not trying to be as conservative for the sake of being conservative. Let's just try to be as biblical as we can, whether that puts us on the right, left, center, wherever it takes us. And I understand that we have to care for the mother in that situation, but there is no getting around the fact that the Bible declares created life all the way back to the womb. A life. And whether it's from Psalm 139's description of God knitting together someone in the womb, or the Old Testament laws assessing penalties when someone caused a mother to lose her baby before it was born. Now, I never want to mention abortion without reminding people that it is not the unforgivable sin. It's very possible that someone here has aborted a baby. If so, God wants you to heal and to ask for forgiveness. Please understand and admit the gravity of what you've done. That's part of the repentance and healing process. But know that God's mercy and grace covers everything in our lives. You may need to walk through that with pastoral or professional counseling. Please reach out to us, uh, to Mosaic Pregnancy Center. They have counselors. Uh, We can help you. On the other end of life, is end-of-life decisions, euthanasia, or physician-assisted suicide. Now, I realize end-of-life decisions are complicated and, and that there may be a legitimate time to stop artificially prolonging someone's life. But what I refer to is ending someone's life who still has life ahead or still being treated Selectively ending people's lives violates the Sixth Commandment as well. Ed Clowney points out that during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands in World War II, Dutch doctors refused to obey orders to let elderly or terminally ill patients die without further treatment. Yet it only took one generation as Malcolm Muggeridge has noted, to transform a war crime into an act of compassion. The Dutch Pediatric Society issued guidelines for killing infants in 1993, and in 2001, Holland earned the dubious honor of being the first country to give legal status to doctor-assisted suicide when the Dutch Senate legalized euthanasia. How sad how quickly life is cheapened and ended prematurely. Ending it prematurely is allowed, encouraged, or ordered. Taking your own life is murder. Suicide is that tragic situation where the murderer is also the victim. And we have nothing but Uh, sadness and despair afterwards. We've had a lot of suicides in this country, even in this county. I I knew a young man through his family that attends another church in town who took his own life several months ago. So, so tragic. So devastating to his family. 
I don't agree with the medieval church that taught that suicide is an unforgivable sin. I think even someone who is saved by the blood of Jesus can be depressed or deceived enough to take their own lives. But that doesn't invalidate Christ's work on their behalf or somehow overrule his salvation in their lives. And again, I always want to say, if you are struggling with depression or feeling like you need to end your life or know someone that is, please, please reach out. God loves you. Your life is too precious to him and to those around you. Now, let's talk a little bit about what a murder is not when we talk about this commandment. The, the sixth commandment does not include ending a person's life with a legal or legitimate military capacity. It's concerned with illegal killing by individuals, not killing that's authorized by the state in execution or in war. It's one reason most translations use do not murder instead of do not kill. Because you can kill someone as an officer of the law or the military in a circumstance that does not violate this commandment. Remember, I, I read before Genesis 9, whoever sheds human blood by a human shall his blood be shed. Well, who is that second human? It's, got, it's someone that's divinely sanctioned, an agent of the state, and that person is not guilty of murder. So we, you think of the protests against capital punishment sometimes. You'll see a sign that says something like, what part of thou shall not kill do you not understand? And we've got to remind people, or at least remind ourselves, that Romans 13 tells us that the state, that the power of the state is given by God, is divinely authorized, and God gives them the power of the sword to punish evildoers. Now, there may be other scriptures that you appeal to asking for mercy, or there may be other reasons to oppose the death penalty, particularly when a justice system is corrupt. I understand that. But as J.I. Packer says, however strongly we may think the death penalty is inadvisable or even hateful, we may not invoke this commandment to prove our point. In its context, it has no bearing on either question, but deals with private morality. Remember, uh, after the commandments are given to Moses, and he comes down from Mount Sinai, what does he see? His fellow Israelites have built a calf and bowed down to it and are kind of rioting what does he do? He calls out the faithful ones, mostly Levites, and says, take your sword and go through the camp and kill. That was divinely sanctioned punishment. It's very different than Moses, remember back in Exodus 2, where Moses kills the Egyptian foreman. That was murder. Now, we don't have time to talk about the ethics of, of just war, except to say that, again, 
as we, I should have quoted it probably in your bulletin, Romans 13 reminds us God authorizes the government to have the power of the sword. And so a soldier who is lawfully engaged in participating in a legally declared war is not guilty of violating the sixth commandment. Now there's probably a lot of other uh, strands we can pull or uh, ways that we could look at the sixth commandment. But let's, let's move on. Let's, um, now that we've looked at what murder is and is not, you, you may be thinking in the back of your head, okay, okay, we're, we're working through these commandments. And uh, I know I'm not perfect on the first five. You know, there's, I, I know I put other gods before him. I know my Sabbath record, I'm probably sneaking in some work here and there. I'm not really honoring that. And I know I didn't obey my parents every time. But here's one that I'm good on. Right? I have never killed anyone. But we can never forget Jesus' words. I'll tell you, I came in here this morning. We were, they were practicing music, and Caleb White's, mind if I point you out, he goes, Man, I know what you're going to do this morning. You're going to tell us what murder is and isn't. Then you're going to tell us what Jesus said about it. And he like, gave me my three points. And so I'm going to have him write my outlines from now on. It was. He knew right where I was going with this. And I'm sure many of you were thinking, yeah, but remember what Jesus said. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is not rejecting the law. He is deepening it. The problem, Jesus said, is that we have murderous hearts, even if we never commit the actual deed. Now, obviously, killing someone is much worse than thinking it. And the consequences are going to be worse. But we need to realize that we violate this commandment when we are so angry at someone that we wish they were dead. Or even that we insult them in our anger. 1 John 3.15 says it very succinctly. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, the Westminster catechisms delve even deeper. We're doing the shorter catechism in our responsive readings, but the, the, long, the larger catechism, uh, I've got, I'm just going to skim it, what it says. It's in your outline. It forbids the things that are lesser than actual murder, but lead up to it. Uh, the, the catechism says the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment include the neglecting and withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, whatsoever tends to the destruction of the life of any. That list should remind us that we are all guilty in many ways, in our thoughts and our attitudes. 
Now you might, I skipped over, there's another phrase in there that says, the immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations are a violation of the sixth commandment. And when I first read that, I thought, wait, that must be for the fifth or the fourth commandment. That's like Sabbath prohibitions, right? I didn't realize what they were saying. And then I thought about it. I said, oh, no, I get it. They're saying any way that you contribute to hurting yourself, to killing yourself, is a form of murder. Whether it's you're hurting your body with what you eat and drink, or driving dangerously, or dangerous activities that uh, you don't take proper safety. So if you want to point to someone who's just consumed an entire pizza and a six-pack, and say, you're violating the sixth commandment, you'd be within your rights. But the bottom line is that you're not off the hook if you haven't actually committed murder, right? This commandment's implications are far-reaching, as they all are. So what are we called to do to avoid breaking this commandment? Well, a good start in responding to this commandment would be to analyze how angry you get at people and how your anger could boil over into violence if you let it. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of really practical applications that you could get from your school guidance counselor or an anger management uh, specialist. Avoid stressful situations and people. Count to 10 before you say or do anything when you know you're mad. Get more sleep. Repeat a calming phrase. Analyze what goal is being blocked when you're mad and try to realign your expectations. And you know what? All of those are good suggestions. You might need to do this. But responding to this prohibition not to murder is so much deeper than just keeping your temper in check and leaving people alone. Right? The true antidote to hurting others is forgiving them, loving them, even serving them. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 reminds us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Beloved, we have no excuse not to forgive other people for all that Christ, that God through Christ has forgiven in us. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. We forgive one another. We choose to never let bitterness take root, but actively choose love and blessing. Listen, just I'm sure there's many illustrations from my own life, but the first real big job I had um, 
was working ninth grade. I was a ninth grade English teacher at a Christian school down in Fort Lauderdale. And about less than halfway through the school year, uh, one of the other English teachers quit. She was first year, and the pressure was just too intense. It was pretty in- intense uh, private school. And uh, I thought, oh, okay, well, they're, they're going to go easy on me. Well, <laughs> not so much. The principal was, was pretty tough on me. I didn't know what I was doing, first year teacher. And, and I took it pretty hard when he criticized me in a lot of areas, had people come in and evaluate, and then he sat in and said, essentially, you're not very good at this yet. <laughs> I took that pretty hard. Uh, I got out of teaching and into youth ministry, not just for that. I, I was excited to get into youth ministry. But let me tell you, I harbored a grudge I know I bad-mouthed into at least my parents and my fiancé. But then I saw him at my dad's church. I wasn't expecting him there. We were, I was worshiping there. And for whatever he was reason, oh, I know, his son was leading worship. And I made my way over and just uh, paved the way uh, for us to have a relationship, a conversation. I don't know if I got, quite got to, I forgive you. We didn't dredge up the past, but it was time to let go and forgive what he had done. I mean, it was really my time to grow up (laughs) was more important. But several times that's happened. And I'm reminded, Christ has forgiven me everything. I have such an opportunity to share that forgiveness and that love to others. A forgiving heart will never become an angry and murderous heart. The great reminder, of course, is that even as maybe we're angry that people got away with something or or they didn't get what they deserve, they didn't get punished, we can still just leave that up to the Lord because just as salvation belongs to God, what does God say? Vengeance is mine. God will make all things right in his time. Now, there are those who see Christianity as just avoiding the bad stuff, right? If I act correctly and just sin less, then I'm good. But Jesus never leaves it at that, does he? Jesus always asks his followers to go all the way with him, to go the extra mile, to give your shirt when someone asks you for your cloak, to bandage the wounded traveler just because you're passing by, to feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, to show love, active love. A murderous heart sees others as impediments to fulfilling its own desires. A godly, spirit-filled heart sees other people as God's holy creations and desires to pour out love on them. The opposite of do not murder is not leave other people alone. It's love your neighbor as yourself. My conclusion, which Caleb also predicted, (laughs) 
people have debated whether it was the Jews or the Romans who murdered Jesus. The true answer is that we murdered Jesus. How's that? I wasn't there. I wasn't alive. I didn't have any say in that. But if your sins were atoned for on the cross, then it was your sins that God sent him to the cross for. The only perfect human being who never sinned and didn't deserve death in any sense was falsely accused and unjustly hung on a cross, one of the most painful and difficult ways to die. One of the amazing things is that Jesus was not a victim. He willingly gave up his life as a substitute. He died in our place. He took on the penalties of our sin. Our sins separate us from God because they are a rejection of his lordship. And we can choose to stay alienated and enemies with God, and and therefore we choose the fruit of that rejection, which is eternal separation from God. Or we can turn to Christ in faith, accepting his death on the cross that pays the penalty of all of our sins. From the least to the greatest, every way that we've broken the Ten Commandments, even violating our fellow images of God, will be forgiven through Christ. And all who choose life in Jesus over death and alienation in our sins said, Amen. Take a moment to pray. Ask God to help you apply and understand him better, apply this scripture, and then I'll close. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. My soul delights in the law, David said. So thank you, Lord, for the law, for the Ten Commandments that remind us your priorities, your values, and what you expect of us. You say, do not murder because you are the giver of life. And you have given us dignity and value. And when we take that away from someone else, we have offended you. But God, thank you for the new law, the new law of love. Love one another. That when we follow that, we forgive and we serve and we defeat 
our anger. Because you forgave us. Because you pour out your love and favor and mercy on us. When we truly understand that, we can pour that out on those around us. Lord, I know there are people here who have been hurt and offended in ways much, much deeper than I have. And it is hard to forgive. And it is easy to harbor anger and ill will and violent thoughts. But Lord, your spirit is capable of all things. And so we pray for the strength and the power of the gospel and the spirit in our lives to overcome our natural sinful desires. And triumph with love. Thank you. With, with the new commandment, we have the new covenant that Christ died for us. And that is what gives us the power to live a godly life pleasing to you. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. We can't. But it's still there. And we commit to obey it, to follow you because of the strength you give us to do it. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.